salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn move related show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, streaming, television, all sorts of good stuff. And he's back, ladies and gentlemen. He's the one and the only. He's our very own Willy Wonka, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how you doing today, sir? I am doing great, John. You know, I built a shed. Ooh. I, I never built a shed before. I know I built a shed in the backyard. I, I never done it. I work with Elizabeth, and we built a shed. I feel, you know, if I knew I would feel such a sense of accomplishment, I would have built a shed long ago. Dude, there is something inherently really pathetic about all of us men. There is a thing about us men, and I don't know what it is, but when you really <laughs> reflect on it, sad. We, I, I, when I mow a lawn, I can't help myself but stop like every 20 minutes to look at what I've accomplished. Look how much better <laughs> this, but holy shit, you build a shed. Man, we, yes, like most I, men would pull out a lawn chair, sit down with a beer, and just look at the shed that they've built. Look what I built. I mean, I, that's just something we as men do, I think. Well, nowadays you got Instagram, so I can be like, look at me. Yeah. Look what I have wrought. <laughs> behold, <laughs> that is what we do. And behold, guys, we have got a lot of really neat things to talk about here. We're going to be talking about the Muppet Show. The original Muppet Show is returning. We've got some great stuff here from Ian McShane about John Wick. It looks like Nebula is going to be in Thor, Love and Thunder, that and a few things more. And of course, your live questions. But listen, guys, let's get some uh, house cleaning out of the way. First of all, if you are new around here or if you haven't done so yet, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel to keep you up to date on all the things that we've got going on around here. And thank you to all you guys who already are, subs or are uh, subscribers to the channel. Also, here's how we do the show. We're going to talk about some predetermined setup topics in the first half of the show. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to go and take your live questions. Here's how you get a live question in. Simply go to the tip link that's in the description of this video. You'll see it and you can just click on it there, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once you get there, make sure you fill out your name, that top part, guys, because a lot of guys send in their tips and questions without including their name and it just comes up as anonymous and if you give us a great fun topic to talk about and if you support the show i want to make sure your name gets a shout out you'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable and of course you'll be supporting the show at the same time and all of us here involved with the john campia show thank you guys very very much for your support okay guys let's get into some topics here today shall we and the first off the top here is this all of us, when we look back on our childhoods, we have a couple of properties that just bring joy to our heart. And we remember being this wee little folks and watching <laughs> them. One of them to me that that was that it, I was still a little bit too young when, it, when the show first started, but that I remember watching, uh, whether it was in rerun or whatever, very joyously was The Muppet Show. I love the original Muppet Show. Now, I've liked a lot of the Muppet stuff that we have gotten in the years since, but the original Muppet Show, there was something just beautiful and magic about it. Well, Disney Plus has now announced that they are bringing all five, all five seasons of the original Muppet Show run, including seasons four and five, which have never been available on home video. 
before are all coming to Disney+. Plus. Now, this is from the folks over at Deadline who write, uh, all five seasons of The Muppet Show are heading to Disney+. Plus. In addition to the first three seasons of the iconic series, seasons four and five, which have, as we just said, which have never previously been released on home entertainment, will begin streaming in a month. A streaming... February 19th, you can watch a clip preview below. The Muppets are among the most recognizable characters in the Disney IP library. The Muppet Show joins the Disney Plus Muppets collection, including movies, shorts, hit series, blah, 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 all, all that sorts of good stuff. I am not going to lie to you. There's some, there's some news that comes out that is big news, and it's exciting to hear. But there's some news that just brings you joy. And there's my heart smiled, Rob. When I when I read this, that these original shows were all coming to Disney Plus, I'm not gonna lie, my heart smiled. Obviously, when I was a kid, I look back and remember the Star Wars episode they did when they had Mark Hamill on uh back in the day. They oh, had yeah. they had Alice Cooper on the show. I mean, they had they had a real wide variety. They always made it fun. You know, it's time to play the music, it's time to light the lights, it's time to get things started on the Muppet show tonight. And I, I'm not going to lie guys. I'm actually pretty stumped about this. I'm very excited. Rob, you hear about this news. What are your thoughts? I mean, if there's one show that has nostalgia, like it drenched, you can't, you can't watch the Muppet show and not be drenched in nostalgia for it. And, uh, I, I, I think it's great. You can, I've, I've you know, I wonder if they up them somehow to, uh, HD, you know, oh, that's, a I mean, possibility. I, I think it was, I think it was tape. It was shot on videotape, but it'd be cool if it was they they upresed it to like 2K. Favorite Muppet? What was your favorite Muppet? Gonzo. Oh, Gonzo was good. The Chicken Womanizer. Probably. He would he would never he would never get away with the crap that he pulled back in the 70s. Let me tell you that. I I mean, look when I think of that, I think uh, you know Dr. Bunsen and Beaker. Be I mean I yeah. I don't know why I I I'm. Like, it doesn't matter how old you get. Hearing Beaker going, meh, 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 it's just, oh, I don't care. It'll always make me split a gut. <laughs> Obviously, Animal. I love, what, what was the name of the 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 piano-playing dog? I can't remember. Was it Roger? You guys you guys in the in the live I, chat, do you remember the name of the, uh, of the piano-playing dog? Because I always forget. Yeah, Swedish. Ralph. Thank you, Casey McNatt yeah. and uh, Justice and Third Turd and Colby and everybody in the live chat. Ralph. Yeah, Swedish Chef obviously was fantastic. I love this news. Pigs in space. Pigs in I space, see, Rob. I want to see a Statler and Waldorf prequel series. Oh, Like, what God. did they do in their 20s? Dude, I want to see like a did, Statler did and Waldorf sequel series. I want to see what they're doing now, now that they're 105. I want to see their show now. I don't care. I, anyway, guys, this to me is great news. What do you think about this news about them bringing the Muppets, the original series to Disney plus? I personally think it's fantastic. What do you guys think about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's do one more off the top. And speaking about childhood nostalgia, maybe things even a little bit before our time, but you know, one of the most cherished celebrated properties out there is, is Willy Wonka, Charlie and the chocolate factory. Big thing, big deal. Uh, Gene Wilder's obvious big classic with the Oompa Loompas and whatever. That Tim Burton did another, you know, iteration of it uh, with uh, Johnny Depp. 
which actually, you know, a lot of people don't like that one. And I'm not a big Tim Burton fan, but I, I really do like Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate. What, for whatever, whatever. Not, it's not as good as the original. Don't get me wrong. Well, listen, about, oh gosh, for a couple of years now, we have heard stories that Warner Brothers, I mean, go back to like 19 or 2016, 2016, 27, somewhere around there. Stories began to come out that Warner Brothers was looking at doing a Willy Wonka prequel. So, I mean, I guess how Wonka became Wonka, how he developed his empire. I don't know what the story was going to be, but it was going to be a prequel to it before the events of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Well, wonder no more. It's actually happening, and they've even set a release date for it. They are doing, it has been announced, that uh, Variety has now officially announced that they're moving forward with Wonka, and they've given it an official release date. And Black Bono Lala sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks for that, Black Bono. I appreciate that, man. Anyway, this is what the folks over at Variety have to say about this. Warner Brothers is returning to a world of pure imagination, forging ahead with plans for a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory prequel, newly titled Wonka. The project has been in development for years, but recently started to pick up steam again. The studio hopes to begin casting the film soon with the goal of releasing it theatrically on March 17th, 2020. Now, Harry Potter and Paddington and many, many other big successful movie producer, uh, David Heyman, is going to be producing it. And what's really exciting about this is that, uh, what uh, what's his name? Is missing his name. Um... Not rich, American Pickles, Paul King. That's it. Paul King, the <laughs> dude who directed the two Paddington movies. And listen, uh, and S Beam sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, S Beam. If you have not seen the two Paddington movies, I know they look silly. I know they look childish, but they're awesome. Rob, I still remember me and John Schnepp went to go uh, see a press screening of it. We thought, ah, yeah, we'll watch it. It's obviously not going to be for us, not going to be very good. And we both came out like, holy shit, Paddington is the man. Like Paddington is so good. Paddington 2 is almost better. You got it. So we've got the producers and that all with it. It's, Rob, look, I know there's going to be some people that are going to roll their eyes at the idea of a Walker prequel. Understandably so. But when you look at who is producing and you look at who is screenwriting and you look at who is directing, it's kind of an exciting mix of people behind the scene. Now, whether that means this is a good idea or not, I'm not really sure, but I'm up for it. You know, if it's good, great. If it sucks, oh, well, it doesn't affect the original or my enjoyment of it. But anyway, Rob, you hear about this news. Warner Brothers is moving forward. They got a 2023 release date set just exactly about almost exactly two years from now in a little bit. What are your thoughts on this? Okay. I grew up loving Roald Dahl. I read Danny the Champion of the World, James and the Giant Peach. I loved the two Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Well, it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. I love those books. I must have read them each six times. I really didn't like Tim Burton's uh Yeah, you're Willy not alone. Wonka. You're not alone. And I'll tell you why. Because Gene Wilde, Willy Wonka was always ahead of everybody. He knew what was up. That guy was the ultimate baller. He, he could tell what was happening. And I, I just didn't like him. I didn't like Johnny Depp turned into sort of this. He had issues, man. <laughs> he had issues. <laughs> <laughs> Willy Wonka doesn't have issues. You know, in the whole, the original Willy Wonka movie, I, I didn't love it as much as the book, but I still loved it. And Gene Wilder, you know, the way he was testing these kids and allowed them each 
to screw up their own lives. Like he, 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 he was like, you know what? Here's all the opportunity in the world. We'll see what you're going to do with it. And it was Charlie Bucket who stepped up and was a good boy and, and inherited the throne, you know, and I, I love that. And I love Gene Wilder's portrayal. I, so I, I want to see how the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka came to be. And I hope they go that direction, not the other way. The well, psycho I mean, weirdo that Johnny Depp played what is, with, is it with a daddy Tim, issues. Is it a Tim Burton movie if he doesn't have Johnny Depp with some really messed up issues? I mean, isn't that like every Tim Burton with Johnny Depp movie? I mean, it's probably – I get – but. <laughs> But with that said, I mean, clearly this is not Tim Burton who's going to be doing this. I know. This is a very different production team behind it, a very different director. You hear about the people involved. Does that mitigate your apprehension at all when you hear about who's actually involved in making this? You know, look, I I want every movie to be good. You know, that's my baseline. It's like I want it to be – movies are so hard to make. They're so hard to get made at the studio – I, and obviously this is a passion project for the producer, so I hope it's great. But do we really need this movie? Like of all the movies they could make, why didn't somebody make Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator with aliens and a orbiting space hotel? That's what I want. Where's Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator? Make that movie. You've got the book to base it on. Well. Oh, well. Question is, guys. What do you think about this? Warner Brothers is moving forward with it. Uh, whether it's a necessary thing or not, up for question. I personally think the people behind it is what makes it exciting. But, you know, there's a lot of things to be apprehensive about, too. What do you guys think about this? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. And by the way, special thanks to King Sound for Life in the live chat who sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much for that, man. All right, guys. With that down... Let's get into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big story or issue that you think should be a main topic on the John Campia Show, simply go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Brent G. And Brent G. writes, Did you see Karen Gillan uh, said, said herself on her own Instagram that she will be appearing in Thor 4? How huge of a role do you think Guardians of the Galaxy will play in this upcoming Thor movie now, now that we know this new information? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, this was actually kind of exciting. Karen Gillan, who, of course, plays Nebula in Guardians of the Galaxy and in the MCU. She's also, of course, in the um, Jumanji movies with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and, uh, and Hart. And she's fabulous she's also apparently going to be doing a pirates of the she's going to be the main star of a pirates of the caribbean spinoff movie as well so she's got a lot of stuff going on right now which is you know great for her look we've already know what we've known for sure already is that chris pratt as star lord is going to be in thor love and thunder we've known that already for a while we've known that vin diesel will be appearing probably as the voice of Groot 
uh, because he's confirmed that himself. And he also said there, there might be one or two other Guardians of the Galaxy in this as well. Well, it looks like one of those is definitely going to be Karen Gillan, because here's what she said herself. She put this out on Instagram, and in the video she said this. The Scottish actor, this comes to us from Digital Spy, the Scottish actor whose character Nebula was introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe back in 2014 recently revealed on social media that she had touched down in Sydney. That just so happens to be where they're shooting Thor Love and Thunder. Anyway, touched down in Sydney, Australia. One fan wrote in suggesting that Gillen was wearing a wig in preparation for a role, to which she tellingly replied, I'm not wearing a wig. This is the real deal. This is my hair. I cut it the other day in preparation for Nebula so that we don't have to get so much hair into the bald cap because I have so much hair. It's unbelievable. It's just so thick. Now, whether or not she just intentionally there spilled the beans uh, is up. But I mean, it's clear. She's gone over to Australia. She's cutting her hair in preparation for Nebula. James Gunn is not ready to start shooting Guardians of the Galaxy 3 quite yet, so we know it's not for that. So it's pretty clear here, although she didn't directly say, I am doing this for Thor Love and Thunder, it's pretty clear what's happening, so we're seeing her in there. Rob, Nebula went from being a minor secondary character in Guardians of the Galaxy and in the MCU as a whole, but in Endgame... They really elevated that character and used her. And I mean, some some people say that Nebula is kind of like the MVP. Maybe a lot of people thought she was like one of the highlight characters, if not the highlight character in Endgame. They really elevated that character a lot, and a lot of people got on board with the character on that point. By the way, Glenmore sends in a super chat badge in the live live chat. Thank you, Glenmore. Um, and that's so. It's not really surprising now at this point that we see her kind of making her way back and appearing in another prominent film in Thor Love and Thunder. Listen, I love her. I think she's great. I've grown to really like this character a lot. They've done a lot to develop her over the films that she's appeared in. So to me, this is good news. Keep bringing more and more goodness into Thor Love and Thunder. I love it. Rob, you hear about this. What are your thoughts? Well, she's dreamy. I love her. (laughs) Um, Oh, and I like Nebula too. Um, but no, I, I, and Nebula, great hot toy. Uh, I think that, uh, this is fantastic news. Uh, the more that she gets to do, the better off, uh, I think that anything is. <laughs> so bring her on. Uh, I think, look, we, I was hoping that the next movie would be called, you know, Thor and the Asgardians of the Galaxy or something, but you know, I'm glad to see that they, they have, you have to acknowledge the fact that the, it, Thor took off with them, you know, and I loved it. So bring them on. I want to see all the Guardians, but maybe maybe uh, Nebula, you know, is going to go along for the ride. I'd love to see Thor and Nebula team up to go do something. I think it'd be great. Do you think there is any danger possibly of, you know, obviously Chris Pratt's going to be there. We're going to have Groot. Now we know Nebula's going to be there. Do you think they're running the risk of this being looked at more as a guardians of the galaxy movie. If you're bringing this many in, or do you think they're going to bounce that out? No problem. No, I think that it'll just be kind of at the beginning, you know, the, and they'll part ways. I, I they've got to make a joke about how Thor got like Thor and, and star Lord got back into shape together or something, <laughs> you know? And that's why, that's why Chris Hemsworth has got the bod back. They, they've got to do that. And, or maybe, it, they could open it the way they opened Guardians of the Galaxy 2, 
where they're they're on some big mission, you know, and they stop that crazy monster in the beginning. Right. I mean, I would love to see Thor and the Guardians of the Gal- Galaxy like, you know, they're off somehow they've been called upon to save some I don't know, and there's some awesome like the beginning of Ragnarok when uh, you had Surtur and the whole scene with Thor and Surtur, you know, it'd be it'd be great to see the Guardians and Thor like do something together, some big some big job. Maybe they pull a heist. I don't know, but I, you know, and that would be it. Like Thor, Thor and the guardians would part ways then. And by I'd the way, to see something like that. this is on top of the news that came out the other day that Matt Damon is apparently going to be in Thor love and thunder as well. Will, will he play just a minor little cameo like he did in uh, the other Thor movie? Or will he actually have a real role in this one? We'll have to see. <laughs> he, he's part of a traveling company of players that put on <laughs> plays across the galaxy about, about what Asgard used to be like. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> All right, guys. Question is, what do you think about this news that we are, it looks like, going to be getting Nebula in Thor Love and Thunder? I think this sounds great. I've got all the faith in the world that Taika Waititi is going to know how to balance these characters out. Question is, though, what do you guys think about that? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into our second and final main topic today. And our second and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Thamed M, who writes, Greetings, John. I think the John Wick films are the greatest action movies of all time. Such a great character and a great world that they created for him to be in. I just read that Ian McShane is saying that they are going to make John Wick 4 and John Wick 5 both this year. Well, maybe he said that. We'll get to that in a second. Is that even possible to shoot two movies in the same year? What do you think of this strategy? Thank you for the daily show to get us through this pandemic. All right. Thank you so much for sending that in. Uh, Fahmed, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, John Wick. Listen, I I don't know that I, I would call John Wick the greatest action series of all time. I'm not sure about that, but I do know it's awesome. And I do know I completely love it. John Wick 2, to me, wasn't quite as good as John Wick 1. John Wick 3 just skyrocketed. I love John Wick 3. I I ate up that movie, so I've watched it like seven times. I can't get enough of it. And of course, it ends with a very, very solid promise that we are to get a John Wick 4. Well, now, when? Well, Ian McShane seems to have some ideas of this. Of course, Winston from the series himself, he was being interviewed and he said the following. Keanu Reeves and I exchanged New Year's greetings and said, hope to see you this year. I know the script is being written and they're hoping to do it this year. I know they announced they were going to do John Wick 4 and 5 together, but who knows? The studios announce all sorts of things. No doubt at some point this year, we're going to do four. All right. So there's a couple of interesting things mixed in here for us to kind of look at and maybe analyze. Number one, he thinks for sure, at least according to Ian McShane, he says, for sure, we're going to shoot John Wick 4 this year. I feel pretty sure that we're going to shoot John Wick 4. But he also mentioned in there that that he had heard that they were going to do 4 and 5 back-to-back, which would be something they have not done in the John Wick franchise yet, shooting the film simultaneously at the same time, shooting them back-to-back, get them both done. Now, I don't think we can take what Ian McShane said as any sort of definitive uh, proof that... They're going to do four and five together. I think it sounds like that's a possibility. They're definitely doing four. His words make it sound like doing five at the same time is a possibility. 
the question comes, is it even possible to shoot two movies in the same year? And the, abs- uh, the absolute answer to that is absolutely you can. It's been done before. It, they've, they've done it before. You can do it, and you can do it fairly easy because really, once all the hard work of the pre-production is done, and that's a long process, but once all the pre-production is done, Rob, a lot of movies can shoot in eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. Like the actual shooting for a lot of films doesn't actually take all that long because they want to shoot as efficiently as possible because the longer your shoot, the more expensive it is. And they like to save as much money as they can. Uh, Then comes the long post, but you absolutely can. And Rob, you and I have talked previously about some of the advantages of shooting two sequels back to back at the same time. There's administrative advantages. There's tons of logistical advantages. You don't have to build a set, tear it down, come back to it in a year, re- go through the whole process of rebuilding those sets again. You can book actors and crew times and you can book them for a certain amount of time. It becomes easier to do that. It saves you time. It saves you money. You can shoot two movies back to back a lot faster than you can just shoot two individual films. So there are advantages, a lot of them. And I think they know the audience is there. Look, Rob, unlike some franchises, which we see the the box office results and interest kind of decline over time, the John Wick franchise just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and a bigger and bigger fan response. I think after three films, they can safely say, yeah, we got two more in this franchise. If so, why not save the time and save the money and just shoot them both back to back? Now, McShane doesn't sound like he's convinced they're going to do four and five back to back, but it's a possibility. Rob, let me ask you this. You're a studio exec over at Lionsgate. Do you pull the trigger and try to do four and four, four and five both back to back in the <clears> same <throat> year? Is that what you do? What are the advantages and disadvantages? Well, I mean, when you're shooting it all at once, you know, you like, for instance, some of the sets will be the same. You just shoot the whole, you shoot it all at one time like it's one big movie. You know, they've done it. That's like what they did with Lord of the Rings, you know, so that when you stop and start, you have to go back and get the same sets back, like the Continental, you know, whatever the hotel. If you're going to shoot a bunch of scenes in there, you shoot all the scenes for two movies, you know, and then you amortize your costs. You should be able to make the movies, both movies, for the price of a movie and a half, really. Unless, you know, whatever the salaries are, if people are getting paid for two movies or something, which they are. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, it's I think it's the way to go. I, I wish all sequels were done that way. You know, like when The Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions were both kind of shot at the same time. And uh, I think it's a great way to go. Now, what do you think about... Uh, the idea, do you think they can get things moving this quickly? Like, because obviously Keanu has been, Keanu Reeves has, has been in uh, like the hottest name really for a while now. I think we're in the waning days of him being the hottest name in the world right now, but he's still really hot right now. Do you think there it it becomes important to try to capitalize on the fact that, listen, Keanu Reeves is still a big, big name right now. The John Wick franchise is still hot right now. Do you think there's, it's, it becomes important to try to do these as soon as possible, take advantage of that. Or do you think right now there's really no need to rush it? Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll, I'll bet they spent the last year honing these scripts. I'll bet they have two really good, a great finale. It's it, You know, it's like when they would do the last Twilight film, they broke it into two, or, or Hunger Games, Mockingjay, parts one and two. I think they probably have a really great story lined up. 
and they've really honed the scripts over the last year because of COVID, and they're raring to go. And I think Lionsgate needs these kinds of the, – the John Wick films were not that expensive and did really, really well worldwide. And I think they're, they're eager. They probably will release them six months apart. And I think it's um, a good thing. And I think I, – I'll bet you the scripts kick ass. I have no, no reason to doubt that. <laughs> no reason to doubt that at all. All right. The question is, guys, what do you guys think about this? Do you think they'll actually get moving and start shooting that this year, which means we could have a John Wick 4 in theaters in 2022? Do you think they will move ahead and shoot both of them back to back? E. McShane didn't sound sure, but it sounds like he thought that's a possibility. What do you think are the advantages and disadvantages? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, we're going to get ready to move into taking your live comments and questions. we got a whole ton of them lined up to take. But before we get into that, it's plug, plug, plug time. Uh, you guys know that I uh, spent a good part of a year uh, making a documentary about movie trailers called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. And uh, I would like to, for some of you, a lot of you guys have seen it already, but for those of you who haven't, I'd like to share with you right now the trailer for Movie Trailers, A Love Story, just in case you haven't seen it so far. So uh, let's jump on over there and let you guys check that out. I am privileged to say a few words to you in this most modern and novel manner. The movie trailer is now well over 100 years old, most famously with John Miljan in the trailer for Al Jolson's The Jazz Singer. Its role is to convince an audience to come back into the cinema. The trailer is everything to sell the movie. Sell the sizzle, not the steak. We're really feeding into the sizzle in that moment. It's the first look at a new film. We need to be a little more compelling from frame one. A guitar riff, a line of dialogue, something that gets us amped. It's a trick to get people to just tune in for two to five, ten minutes. When the music is synced to the action that's happening on the screen, when things are cut to the beat, with the cover of a song. This is a trailer moment. It's about what your reaction to the trailer is. Sonic. We're ta we're, I'm talking about Sonic here. Ah! trailer debuts on Apple became a huge deal. The internet changed the game for the movie trailer. Oh, this trailer just dropped? Let me see if I like that. Part of the magic is seeing it with other people. Huddled around her phone. It's Robert Downey Jr. He became Tony Stark. Couldn't stop talking about it. Suddenly, every studio wanted their trailer in front of 6,000 people in Hall H. It's an extension of the trailer experience. Good on you. You should probably do this for a career. The music drops and bam, the action hits and there's Tom Cruise jumping and leaping off buildings baby driver trailer for instance it's like you're watching a mini movie beyond the darkness beyond the human evolution the wrath of khan star trek is on the big screen that trailer for episode one it was a cultural event but you're just experiencing this piece of art they make you want to fall in love with the movie sit with us and feel like its own experience All right, guys, that's, uh, of course, the trailer for my movie, uh, Movie Trailers, A Love Story. It is available now worldwide. You can go watch it whatever country you live in, regardless of where you live. You can go and check it out at vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. However, if you happen to live in the U.S. or the U.K., you have another option of also being able to watch it on Amazon, simply go on over to Amazon and search for movie trailers, a love story and a big deep thank you to all of you guys who've already gone and watched it and left feedback and rated it and all that kind of stuff. The response has been fantastic. So thank you guys very, very much. 
Okay, guys, now let's get on over and start taking your live questions, shall we? We're going to get things started off here with Blake, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, I watched There Will Be Blood for the first time recently. Awesome movie. Wow. Wow. Now that's acting. That movie is crazy. I'm also pretty sure the trickster is behind the events in WandaVision. Hashtag supernatural. Cheers. That would be quite a crossover. But yeah, Rob, I've said for a long time, There Will Be Blood is a great movie. It's a great movie. I'm an but, oil man. <laughs> but I, to me, it stands out because in my personal estimation, it's all subjective. That movie, it gave us the single greatest lead actor performance to me in any movie ever in history. <laughs> I, when I think of it, I think Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood is the greatest performance I have personally ever seen. From the beginning of that movie that starts with almost no dialogue and just acting it out right through that that final iconic scene about the milkshake and all kinds of stuff. This guy is just phenomenal. What do you think about when you think of uh, There Will Be Blood? Dude, uh, I'm right there with you. The, the movie is just, it's, it's just a masterpiece, you know? Uh, and at the center of that masterpiece is a masterpiece of a performance. You cannot take your eyes off. Was Daniel Plainview? Is that his name? Yeah. That character, my God, I I I, I love that movie so much. I just I can't say enough good things. It's about completely it. fantastic. Glad you had a chance to watch it, Blake. All right. Next up, Chad Furlong writes. Hey, John, big fan. Thank you so much, Chad. Uh, Wonder Woman 84 could have been written so that Lord was the only one who needed to recant his wish for anyone who wished off, who wished off of him to have their wishes nullified. He was the stone, after all. Uh, cleans up the final act a lot, I think. I mean, yes, they could have done that. It would have fixed a big, big narrative problem with the movie if they had said that. However, they also wanted to have this big moment where the goodness of humanity shows that if just if Wonder Woman can just reach out to the world, she can change the hearts of the world. That would have been worth giving up. It would have made far more narrative sense if all they needed to do was have Maxwell Lord say, I renounce my wish and that fixes everything. Of course, they didn't do that and it created a whole lot of problems in the movie. So you're right about that, Chad. I completely agree. All right, next up. Adam Rose writes, uh, Hey, John, long-time listener since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Adam. And wanted to start by saying thank you for all you do. It's my honor. Thanks, dude. Uh, second, I wanted to know where your level of excitement for The Batman was. Talented director, actors, writers, the great first trailer, thoughts, thanks. I, I Seriously, I Rob, you and I have talked about this. Look, there's no secret. I wanted Ben Affleck's Batman. Not just Ben playing it. I wanted the script that he wrote. I wanted him directing it. I think he's one of the best directors in the game right now. That's the one that I wanted. But if I can't have it, Matt Reeves directing Batman? Robert Pattinson, who has turned into one of those actors over the past seven or eight years that every big director is lining up to trying to work with. It And that trailer was fantastic. I mean, it didn't really give us, it was just a first kind of taste, a first kind of tease, but I was eating it up. I love the tone of it, the feel of it. It felt great. Now this movie may be a complete train wreck, but honestly, the only thing that would get me more excited about this Batman movie right now is if it was Ben Affleck actually involved. But since I can't have that, Matt Reeves, Rob Pattinson, all that is a great 
Great thing to fall back on. I am very, very I'm not going to say it's my most excited movie of the next couple of years, but it's right up there. I'm very stoked for this. Rob, where are you at right now with this Batman film? Oh, I, I, dude, I can't wait. I mean, it's <laughs> going to be great. You know, I, I, it's a different take. I'm always excited going into uh, a new Batman, I don't know, era, call it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. That trailer we got, I thought looked great. I, I'm, I'm very excited. But like you, you know, I was so stoked to see a Batman versus Deathstroke, the Terminator. Oh. I, I mean, I love Deathstroke. I, I was introduced to that character 40 years ago when I was reading New Teen Titans. And uh, man, I've always loved him. And and I loved what's his name, um, Joe Manganiello. Manganiello, Manganiello, Mr. D and D himself. I, Big I Dungeons mean, I and was, Dragons player. I I wanted to see that. I wanted to see Batman and Terminator going toe to toe, like fighting with swords or some shit. I couldn't wait. And then. It was not to be. Now, Joe, of course, runs the most famous Dungeons and Dragons game in the world. He's got um, his his wife, uh, Vera Famia. Not, it's not. No, who's his wife again? It's not Vera Famia. No, uh, his wife is Sophie Viraga. Sophia Viraga. That's what I was thinking Sophie. of from uh, from Modern Family. So uh, he's not doing too bad. He's not. No, he he wins at life. He wins at life, and he set up. His wife let him set up this their basement into this big Dungeons and Dragons. Can, can you uh, imagine playing. that conversation? When he asks her, he he goes, "Honey, I'd like to uh, build a dungeon." And she's like, "Ooh, it's great." <laughs> well, uh, it's hold great. Your horses, and a son, friend, honey. it's not that kind of dungeon. <laughs> but like all, like a, a ton of celebs go and play in that game. Like a ton of yeah. celebs go and play the game. And and a friend of mine, Kyle Newman, who who's ha- I've had on the show here before, he plays. He's a regular in that game. Of course, he wrote the Dungeons and Dragons book, the history of Dungeons and Dragons book. Kyle did. So I'm like, what the hell do I, I, I play my D and D stuff. I play D and D. How the hell do I get an invitation to that game? I want to go just the table is amazing that he's got set up down there. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, taskmaster 503 writes, what's up? Uh, hello, John. I've been wondering why people get mad that Superman, Batman, well, the DC heroes kill yet in the MCU, most heroes have a high kill count. My question is, why are the MC here heroes forgiven for killing, but not the DCEU ones? Love the show. Thank you so much. And and like, yeah, just the beginning, the opening scene uh, with the, I think it's, uh, I can't remember which character specifically it was that did that one thing. But at any rate, when you look at the opening scene of Civil War, right, almost every one of the heroes there kill somebody. Like they all kill somebody. Like they, they kill a lot of people. Iron Man kills a lot of people. <laughs> Iron Man yeah. kills a lot of people. Black Widow kills. They all kill people. Nobody blinks an eye. The reason, and I disagree with them, but the reason that some people have objections and make and make a bit of a stink out of the fact that you know Superman killed Zod and that Batman has killed people on the screen is that there are comic iterations of those characters that at times in their history express a very strong and firm moral ethic that they will not kill, period, right? There have been times, I mean, there have been times in the comics that Superman does kill, time in the comic books that Batman does kill, but there have also been times in iterations and eras, uh, long ones too, where those, those characters have said, it is a part of my nature that I will not kill under any circumstances, right? Iron Man has never done that. To the best of my knowledge, Iron Man has never done that. Black Widow has never said that in the comics. So I don't, so it's not a part of their character. 
Now, to me, again, Rob, you've got to make a distinction between the comic book pages and the big screen. But even if you don't make that distinction, there is precedent in the comic books and older animation, all that kind of stuff that Superman and Batman have killed. Therefore, I think it is a creative license that the filmmakers can take. So I have I take no issue uh, with the fact that when faced with the option in Man of Steel, that Superman either had to break Zod's neck or allow the entire population of the planet Earth to be committed to be committed to an extreme genocide and wiped out of existence. Those are the only two choices he had. There was oh, he could have done a third thing. No, there. Zack Snyder set it up very clearly. There was no third option for Superman in that moment. No, he had to either break Zod's neck, which he clearly did not want to do, or he had to let the entire human race go extinct. And he chose a hard choice. He broke his neck, and then he cried out in anguish and anger that he did it. You know, he's also made the decision that this Batman, under certain certain circumstances, will kill. Nobody had problems with Tim Burton's Batman killing people. Nobody brought up a problem when Christopher Nolan's Batman killed people. And he did. But, uh, yeah, but I get it. But that's why there's a difference. Because in the comics with a lot of these MCU characters, there was never a moral line being drawn saying, I'll never kill. Whereas there are iterations of those uh, characters in the DC comics where they do say they have that moral line. And so understandably, some people have an issue with that. Rob, what's your, how how do you break that down? Well, you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that takes place in the real world where there's real people and spies and bad guys and people die. Whereas the DC DC movies take place in a fantasy world. <laughs> that's all I can just, that's how I yeah. can describe it. Because I mean, look, you know, when you're going to a foreign country and there's bad actors, our characters, I mean, Captain America's a soldier. He fought in world war two. You know, if people are bad, you go kill them. And, and there, there's no, <clears throat> I don't think they, they want to kill, but when you're fighting Hydra and they've got, weapons of super science it's not like you can be like okay we're going to apprehend you now and um we we'd prefer you don't use deadly force so we won't no you're you're fighting against people that will take your life and that's how the world works this idea that it i've never understood this idea that superman and batman aren't supposed to kill like in what universe could that ever be possible like you pointed out people have been taking talking to me about man of steel well superman is not supposed to kill like why like, w- why not? What would you have him do? Put Zod in jail on the moon? How's that going to work? <laughs> Zod's as powerful as Superman. There's nothing you can do. He's either dead or not. You're not like, you can't like put him somewhere. Let's put him in super jail. That's not going to work. So well, what I want to do is what I would uh, really want to do is encourage a lot of people like, cause there are like, I already see people in our own live chat saying, wait a minute, when did Nolan's Batman kill a number of times? I want to recommend uh, this video for you guys to go and watch Mr. Sunday movies, uh, put together a fabulous video a number of years ago called the Batman movie kill count <laughs> that basically runs through including the the Burton movies and everything, when Batman does kill, including in the Nolan films. So I would recommend you guys go and check that out. It's really, uh, I've referenced this video a few times. It's really a good one to go and see. So I would recommend that. Okay, let's move on here. Next up, uh, that was ta- Taskmaster. Next one up is Tiberius who writes, Hey, John and gang, uh, wife and I watched your documentary and enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Tiberius. I appreciate that, man. Uh, it combined two of my favorite things, history and film. Also motivated me to get off my butt and do something. Since middle school, a bunch of friends and I have played football and we are now in our 
uh, in our 50s with most of the games played on film. For years, I've kicked around uh, putting all of the footage together with some player interviews and music and making a movie out of our shared experiences. It's time. Well, it's time to get off my ass and do it. Have no idea what I'm doing or how to do it, but I'm going to start. Thanks, John. That is awesome to hear, Tiberius. And seriously, when I made my first movie, you think I was an expert? No. <laughs> it's and You know, Rob, you and I talked about this yesterday on your 600th episode of Observations a bit. It's like 99% of the battle is just getting off your ass and starting it. Don't let, I don't know what I'm doing, be your excuse. Guess what? You're never going to know what you're doing unless you just start doing something. And yep. I think that project sounds great. Rob, what would you say to people like Tiberius who like want to do something like putting a project like this together, but maybe you're kind of intimidated to do it? What would your advice to them be? Do it. Do it. <laughs> I mean, there's there's no reason why you shouldn't. I mean, the, the funny – I think that there's this – like there's this conception that that people might have that, that you, you suddenly have to prepare – and like take classes or learn. And I'm like, no, just, just jump in, man. Just, if you've got footage, start putting it together. Once you start editing, like, you know how it is, John, you start cutting something, you put one image next to another image, you maybe cut a montage. Suddenly you're off to the races. Like, wow, this is really cool. And I, I, I am a huge proponent of going out and doing it and learning as you go. Love it. And Do by it. the way, not that we're saying that, taking courses and doing all the stuff is a bad way to start. Oh no, that's great. If you could, but do that then just like do something, right. start shooting, take that class. Don't talk about taking the class or getting online and learning this thing, or just picking up a camera, just do it and, and get moving. And then you'll find it becomes, uh, I made up a word yesterday. It comes, it starts to seem a lot more accomplishable when you actually start doing it. So uh, good words, Robert. All right, next up, we've got Aaron E who writes, Hey, John, I saw that Liam Neeson is retiring from action movies. Yeah, we talked about this on yesterday's show. I want to know what your favorite Liam Neeson action movie is other than the first Taken. Mine is Phantom Menace. Eh, I don't really count that per se, but the only thing cooler than Liam uh, wielding a lightsaber would be Keanu having one. Yeah, Rob, we talked about this on yesterday's show about Liam Neeson is saying, like, look, I think he's 68 now. He's going to be 69 later this year. And he said, he was telling the story, he goes, I'm, I'm shooting an action film right now, and I've had this action scene with this 25-year-old actor, and we were done, and I was gasping for air, and he, it didn't cost him anything. <laughs> it's like, he says, it's coming time for me to end this. I would, I think I would say, I mean, Rob Roy is incredible. That's even, there's action in Rob Roy, but it's more drama than anything else. Boy, I love that one. What is the name of the film he does with the wolves? Uh, that came out like the gray the gray. Oh, I love the gray. Uh, then again, is that an action film? I, I, I kind of considered that the trailer for Joe Carnahan's new movie, uh, boss level dropped today. Oh, did with, that finally um, come out? They've been talking about, wasn't it Frank Grillo in that? Yeah, it, it looks crazy. I, they, I can't wait to see it. I think it looks we like were, groundhog day meets something else. I think we were still at AMC when we first broke the story that they were going to try to make that movie. That's how long they've been trying to get that one uh, yeah. made. But yeah, I mean, Liam Neeson uh, ending his run. I mean, he's still going to be acting. He's just realized, hey, you know, I'm going to be 69. And he's not like a Schwarzenegger or a Stallone who's kept this ridiculous physique for that long. But I tell you, Rob, I don't know if you've ever met Liam Neeson in person. I've, I've had not. the opportunity to meet him a couple of times. He is a 
big, intimidating presence. He's a like he's a really big man, um, an intimidating looking dude. Okay, anyway, thanks for that, Aaron. Next up. We've got uh, Island Boy who writes, John, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. Uh, my Bucks just won, and I'm on such a high. Uh, this has been such a fun year as a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, or as I call them, the Tampa Bay Gronkineers. Uh, thanks for lending us the goat for a few years. He has turned our franchise around in just one season. What cliff. Uh, Saints fans suck it. Well, no, hey, Saints, Saints are great, and watching... Watching Tom Brady and Drew Brees, two of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. And when it comes to the record books, it's Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Their numbers are like so crazy watching them play. But Rob, I was telling this on the show the other day. Put this in perspective. The third most NFL playoff wins in quarterback history is 14. And that is a tie between... um, Terry Bradshaw, Peyton Manning, and John Elway, all right, at 14 NFL playoff wins. The second most playoff wins in NFL history is 16 by Joe Montana. 16 by the great Joe Montana. So third place is 14. Second place, Joe Montana is 16. Tom Brady, after his win against the Saints this weekend, now has double the amount of playoff wins that Joe Montana has at 32, 32 playoff wins. He's taken his team to the final four 14 times. If he can get, I I don't think the bucks can beat the green Bay Packers next this coming weekend. I, I think the Packers win that game, but if by some miracle, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can beat the Green Bay Packers this coming weekend, which I don't think will happen. It will be the 10th time, 10th time that Tom Brady takes a team to the Super Bowl. As great as Aaron Rodgers is, Aaron Rodgers had an MVP year. He's going to win the MVP this year. As great as Aaron Rodgers is, you know how many times Aaron Rodgers has taken his team to the Super Bowl? Once. The great Aaron Rodgers has taken his team to the Super Bowl one time. Tom Brady, if they do it this year, will be the 10th time he's taken the team to the Super Bowl. It's crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous what this Tom Brady did. And he's 43. He's 43. And he's taken his NFL team to the Final Four. Let me ask you a question. Do you think if he does, he's going to retire for good? No, he said he wants to play till he's 45. I think he should retire. I mean, look, if if he if for whatever he's not they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. If by some miracle they get by the Green Bay Packers, the Chiefs are going to win. Then they're going to run into the Chiefs with and, and if they have a healthy, you know, QB there in the Chiefs. I mean, he had had a little bit of a concussion this weekend, but if if for whatever reason they win the Super Bowl this year, what do you got left to do? You're going to have seven rings, 10 Super Bowl appearances, three MVPs. You've now won with two different teams. What else is there to do? Unless In a single just, season, too. Yeah. Like, unless, I, mean, he, 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 I was just going to say, unless it's, he just loves the game. If you just love the game and you just want to keep playing, then you go ahead and play. But anyway, 
sorry, sorry. I, I, sorry, guys. When I get talking sports, I can run on. I know a lot of you guys don't like hearing me talk about sports, but there you go. All right, next up, uh, Ringo. <laughs> One of 19. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, John, welcome to Riverside. Thank you so much. That's where the house is that I'm moving to is Riverside, California. Uh, now that you live here, will you be going to uh, AMC 16 or Tyler or maybe checking out the Regal at the Riverside Plaza? I have I go to a lot of movies at the AMC 16 or sorry, at the AMC Tyler Galleria um, because, you know, Anne's family lives out there. So we spend a lot of weekends. Um, we've always spent a lot of weekends, like probably three weekends per month we spend out in that area. And so I do go to a lot of movies Anne and I go to a lot of movies at the Tyler AMC Tyler gallery. It's a great little movie theater. I really enjoy it. And since I will have my AMC, uh, a list card, I will spend a lot more time at that theater than I will at the Regal. But, uh, let's get the theaters back up and open first, shall we? But yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to uh, moving out there. We move Rob 10 days from today, 10 days from today. Anne and I move into our First house. I'm very excited about it. Thanks for that, Rigo. All right, next up, Loverboy writes, let's take a break from movies and let's talk some hoops, John. Do you see anybody stopping the Lakers from winning the championship again this year? I think they repeat, but the Nets, if Kyrie gets his shit together, Clippers and maybe Philly or Portland have a chance. Clippers do not have the mental strength to get to the NBA Finals. I love the Clippers. They simply do not. They mentally fell apart that last year. They showed they are a mentally fragile team. Um... And then they got rid of the mentally strongest part of their team in their coach. So I, I didn't understand that whatsoever. Um, I honestly, even if Kyrie doesn't, you know, get his act together, I I don't see how, I mean, right, it's too early to call, but I, I the Nets are winning the title this year. I mean, if Kyrie gets his crap together, you've got two former MVPs, and a guy who's an and a third guy who's an MVP contender. There's never been that lineup. Like not even when LeBron went to Miami, you had like three All Stars, but you didn't have like currently any one of those three guys on that team could win MVP of the league. You will have that in the Nets, and it's going to be. But now we just got to see if they can gel. If they can gel will be the big thing, but uh, I would love to see the Lakers win again. I'd love to see Lebr LeBron get another ring, but uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Thanks for that, Loverboy. Next up, Grand Admiral Cherokee writes, uh, when we see Thrawn in live action, do you think he'll be more akin to Star Wars Rebels Thrawn or the Thrawn from the novels? Which do you think we are more likely to see? That has been the billion-dollar question, Rob. You and I have talked yeah. about this. Because yep. Grand Admiral Thrawn, there are two different versions of him right now in canon we have star wars rebel thrawn who is canon and he is he is very much an antagonist he's very much a villain a brilliant sophisticated intelligent but villain clearly a villain when you watch rebels yeah this is a bad guy this is clearly a bad guy but when you read the recent three Thrawn novels that are also canon and they reference the events in Rebels. It's a totally different story. He's yep. still super intelligent. He's still suave and all that stuff, but he is clearly a he's the hero of the books. He is he's clearly a decent individual. He has a sense of honor and a sense of right and wrong and and always tries to lean towards the right. It's 
They are two different iterations of Thrawn that are both in the same reality. And it's going to be very interesting, Rob, once they get rolling with Ahsoka or whether it's going to be Rangers of the New Republic or whatever, it's going to be very interesting to see what are they going to do with Thrawn? Will he be the truly villainous one we saw in Rebels? Will he be more of an anti-hero that we see in the novels? It's a good question. Which way do you think they're going to go with that? Well, I like him as an anti-hero. You know, I, I, so do I, 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 uh, because remember, you know, somebody sent me a qu quote of his when he's talking about, like, he's there to sort of oversee, watch the empire for his own, for what, the ascendancy? What's the name of his stuff? Yeah, I forget the, what it's the called. Yeah, the Chiss ascendancy. Yeah, the Chiss ascendancy. Like, he's there to check out what's going on, but, but, and, and, and preside over what's happening to protect his own interests back home. So I, I like Thrawn as an anti-hero, you know? I, yeah. I don't think he's a straight-up villain at all. I never thought that about him. It'll be interesting to see how they're going to approach him in live action, but I am very excited for it. I, I kind of prefer the Thrawn we get in the books, to be honest with you, in yep, the new books. Me too. I, I do too, so we'll see how they uh, carry that out. All right, next up, we've got uh, Stubble McShave writes, this will never happen, but I would like to see Chris Evans as a secret as secret agent, uh, as an undercover agent during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I think the time travel of Steve opens up possibilities, but as I said, it'll never happen. Yeah, the reason, one of the reasons I think that won't happen is because Marvel tried doing Agent Carter. Now, granted, Agent Carter isn't Captain America. But they tried to do that show set in that era, the 50s, 60s, and, and, and pre that. And even though the first season of Agent Carter, Rob, I don't know if you ever watched it, but I thought the first season of Agent yeah. Carter was delightful. I really I liked it. But it yep. was never able to catch on. Like, just people didn't watch. And maybe it was, that was partly error, stuff like that. So I agree. I don't, I don't think they'll do something like that. What do you think the chances of that are, Rob? No, no, I, I, I don't. But I think it would be cool. Like, what? What if he teamed up with Bond, James <laughs> Bond in the sixties? You know, he was like the Felix Leiter, and and Bond and 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 Steve Rogers went out on some amazing, uh, amazing adventure together. I'd love that. That the cross those universes, man. Cross those universes. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Vod Voditsa writes John and Rob. If there and he is. Hello. We are six months away from Shang-Chi and no promo has been released. Uh, not a hint. I think they seriously, I think they are seriously considering moving it and certainly consider moving uh, Black Widow. The question is to when or where thoughts. Here's, here's the thing, Vadista. Um, there is no reason right now. I'm not saying they won't move Shang-Chi. Let's be clear, but I'm not saying they won't. But right now, there's no reason to believe that they will. We have seen a very good trend in the last couple of years where movie studios are shortening their promo window because for a long time, like a big movie's coming, put out the first trailer a year before it comes out and they've realized that's wasted money. Any hype bump buzz you create with a trailer that's 10 months away from when the movie's coming out just dissipates and disappears. Great. You got some great buzz on the film 10 months ago. The buzz dies and you just got to start again later on a movie that doesn't have any promotion. That's still six months, half a year away. That's nothing to even think about. It's nothing to even remotely think about. Once you get to three months away, then you can start raising your eyebrow. Like if, if a big, big movie is three months away and they still haven't put out any promotion for it, then you go, 
Wait a minute. What's going on? Six months away? No. That doesn't mean that movies can't promote six months out. They can, and some do. But there's absolutely nothing to be slightly worried about yet for a movie that hasn't started promoting that's still a half a year away. Now, that said, uh, Rob, you and I both kind of think they're going to have to bump Black Widow again. It's, it's just they've got to schedule to come out just a little bit too early, I think. It's it's possible it could come out when it does. But you've got to give a chance for these vaccinations to get made. Well, Rona, I think they're going to move Black Widow, and I think they'll move it by like two months. I, I Honestly, I see them moving it by like eight weeks, maybe 10 weeks. I don't see them bumping it like another six months or anything. But as of right now, I would put five bucks, not 10, not 10 bucks, but I would put five bucks that Shang-Chi keeps its release date. That's that's how I'm kind of feeling about it right now. What do you think? You know, The Eternals was supposed to come out this past holiday season, yes, like in was. November, and we've never seen anything about that either. You know, and so I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think it, I think it's probably all going to get pushed a bit again, uh, but who knows? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I don't want it to be. I, I want to see these movies. I really want to see. <laughs> I want to see any movie at this point. Yeah, any movie would be good. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think if they are able to bump, because honestly, I think in May that I think a May release date for Black Widow, which is where it's sitting right now. Is yeah. close. It's close. I think they can bump it like another eight weeks. And if they do, that's a big if. I think yep. you can bump it eight weeks without really disturbing much else of the. And there's probably one or two things you'll have to move also and adjust, but I think you can move Black Widow eight weeks and really not have to mess with too much of the rest of the release schedule. But again, the situation changes every day. Right. So it could look this whole situation could look very different a month from now. I mean, t- today was the first day in a while, Rob, where I saw a headline of the uh, the spiking pandemic is actually starting to go down. It's the first time in like months I've seen that. So, yep, here's but that could all go away tomorrow. Or it could all get better tomorrow. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, it's a great question, man. And that's the billion dollar question right now, Vodista. All right, next up. We got Tristan Thorpe who writes, while I'm conflicted about hearing Evans coming back as Cap, I can't complain because it seems he's going to be in the vein of Tony in Spider-Man Homecoming. Plus, he's my favorite MCU character, so it's a win either way. Completely agree. Look, they're not bringing him back for a Captain America 4. He's going to come back in larger movies, much like they've used Tony. You know, we never did get Iron Man 4, so we just got a lot of Tony as a player in other films. Now, whether that new film that it comes back in is going to be Dr. Strange, whether it's going to be uh, Black Panther 2. Rob, I'll tell you a theory somebody wrote in yesterday for Black Panther 2. And at first I guffawed at it. Like, what do you think about bringing back Cap and, you know, 2? Because Cap's still around and uh, and uh, T'Challa's not there because of the snap. They, they suggested doing a Black Panther 2 set during the five-year gap between Infinity War and Endgame. And I'm like, nah, blah, blah. But then I stopped and went, well, wait a minute. You don't even have to explain where T'Challa is because he got snapped. So he's not, he hasn't come back yet if you're in that five-year period. And you don't have to worry about the Captain America. How do we undo what they did? It doesn't matter. Captain America is still around in the five-year gap. So you can have, now that Wakanda is in a phase of his existence where it's trying to open itself up to the rest of the world more, 
They are now without their king T'Challa. And since we're trying to open ourselves up more to the world, let's bring in a, a, a consultant from the rest of the world. Who better than the close friend and ally to our former king, Captain America? Let's have him come in. And you don't make Captain America the main character of the movie. You make whoever's going to be the next, whoever's going to takes over the throne while T'Challa's gone. That's going to be your main character of the movie. But it, it actually solves a lot of problems. If you put Black Panther 2 in that five-year snap, you don't have to explain T'Challa being gone because he snapped. You don't have to explain how Cap is back because he was still there. To me, it's not a bad idea. What do you think about that? I, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. I think it'd be really interesting. You know, I mean, and, and it, it sets up whatever they're going to do after that. I, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's really a, a good idea, but again, I don't know who knows yeah, what they're going to yeah, do. Yeah. They, they probably got something very, very different in mind, but either way, I'm sure they'll come up with something good. All right. Uh, Ismail Y writes, Hey John, got two WandaVision, got two WandaVision questions for you. Number one, since you've watched the third episode, do you think it would have been less polarizing if they just released all three episodes from the start Two, over under 50% Dr. Strange makes an appearance in WandaVision? Well, number one, it's, this this isn't polarizing. WandaVision isn't polarizing. There are definitely some people that don't like it, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, that's perfectly good. But this isn't like The Last Jedi, where you like had half of the Star Wars fans loved it, half of the Star Wars fans hated it. This isn't like Batman versus Superman. This isn't Batman versus Superman, where half the audience loved it and half the audience hated it. Uh, the majority, the, uh, the very solid majority of the people really like WandaVision. So it's really not all that polarizing. Do I think it would have been better? Do I think the reception would have been even better um, if they put out the third episode? Maybe. Because it's the, I, I don't want to give any details away. But the third episode is the episode more that begins like we see hints in the first two episodes of there's something wrong something is around the corner episode three to me is the one that accelerates that turning the corner a little bit and i think there are some people that that you know wandavision just wasn't for them and there's nothing wrong with that that maybe it would have appealed to them a little bit more had they also seen the third episode at the same time it's possible that 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 is a possibility, but uh, yeah, right. It's it's hard for me to say because I did see them all at the same time, so it's hard for me to know how would I have felt had I not seen all three. I'm not sure. It's a, it's a very good question, man. It's a very valid question. All right, uh, let's move on here. Uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes. Uh, to answer your question on American God, season two was unfortunately a huge step down. Oh, that's unfortunate to hear. Largely thanks to some insane behind-the-scenes drama, which other things led to Gillian uh, Anderson quitting. It would actually make a good disaster artist type of film. I did not know that. Rob, it came up on the show the other day was American Gods. I said, you know, I saw season one, and I really like season one. But I, I did too. I, and I can't remember what network it's supposed to be part of. It's Stars or something, but or Showtime, but... I never did see season two and I never had it available to me. Now, somebody just pointed out to me the other day that it's actually available now on uh, Amazon prime. So I might have to go check that out, but I didn't know that Are, So you, you watched American gods. Did you see season two? I only watched the first season and then Brian Fuller left, you know, they wanted more money for the second season. And then he left as a showrunner. I love the first season of American gods. I thought it was great. And I mean, they kept the same, they kept the same, you know, 
cast, but I, I well, other than Jillian Anderson left, but I, I, I mean, it was it was such a visionary show, and I just had no interest once Brian Fuller left. Uh, I, I, which I think, maybe isn't fair to the. It might not be fair to the show. I just I hadn't watched it since then. Well, it, it sounds like um, you know they're saying here. It sounds like maybe it it took a nosedive, but I might I have to give it a shot because I, I did like the first one so much. First season, I'll have to give it a shot here. All right, Shanghai Finn writes one of six. All right, here we go. Buckle in. Hey, John and Rob, if he's there, and he is from Finland. Oh, thank you so much, man. Home of Yari Curry, the great uh, Finnish Edmonton Oiler. Uh, from Finland and working in Shanghai. Fan for about a year. First time tipper. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. An outsider insider living in two very different countries. Um, some thoughts I wanted to share. Here in China, while far from normal, life has been relatively COVID-free since the summer, including cinemas, and been lucky to see five films on the big screen. Tenet, Mulan, Wonder Woman 84, wow. Soul, and Nice, and a local war ep, The Eight, The 800. Interesting to follow local reactions to the films. Mulan totally bombed at the cinema people were, uh, were often laughing at, not with the film. Whereas Soul was received very well. Strong word of mouth and more than double its box office the second weekend. That's cool to hear. That practically never happens in China. Local movie app highlighted it as the best of 2020. I'm sure Disney didn't expect an animation about African-American jazz pianists to do better in China than a film based on local folklore. Local films dominate, though. 800 was a big hit, making it the worldwide number one of 2020. I see no reason to doubt the numbers, and it's quite good. Not my favorite Chinese war film, though. City of Life and Death 2009 is amazing. Highly recommend. If you or Rob have seen it, would love to hear your thoughts on a very... Uh, different note, my sincere condolences for the loss of your grandfather. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I lost my grandfather to COVID. Couldn't attend the funeral too. Difficult to go home uh, right now. COVID in control of uh, COVID control in China, incredibly strict. Stay safe, everyone. Well, thank you so much for sending that in Shanghai. And yeah, listen, it's funny because Rob, I've actually got uh, through and a couple of people that I know who are living in not in Shanghai, but are living in China and, and in Hong Kong and other places like that. And it's so weird hearing from people and getting notes that, oh yeah, I'm going to a movie tonight. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> I know. What? <laughs> it's like such a different experience. Now, listen, I have said on this show um, that I am dubious of box office numbers that come out of China. And Maybe that's unfair. Like I'll, I'll say that straight up. Maybe it's unfair uh, that I do, but I, I do get a little bit dubious when I see some like astronomical numbers on certain movies that are that are Chinese movies come out of China. And I I don't know. I I take it with a grain of salt, and maybe I'll eat those words at some time. Again, I'm not sitting here making any proclamation that ah oh, the Chinese rig the numbers in a Chinese box. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I I'd be dishonest <laughs> if I didn't tell you I'm a little bit dubious about it. But that notwithstanding, the notion that there are people in this world who actually just today are going to go, if I feel like going to the movies tonight, I get to go to the movies tonight, like Shanghai Finn is telling us about. I, I just cannot wait for that day. I cannot wait for and I And I feel it getting closer. I feel it getting closer, Rob. That ability again to wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to a movie today and just have that that joy, you know, that unmitigated joy. Uh, I look, I so look forward to it. I mean, I, and I think it's coming sooner rather than later. Like I do think we're going to be back in the theaters again by June or July. <laughs> now, 
I also said, I think we'll be back in the theaters by June and July in March of last year. <laughs> and, and look how that turned out. But I, I feel good about this. I feel like June or July we'll be back in theaters. You think it's going to be closer to September, October, right? That's what you said the other day, I think. I I just don't see it happening, man. I mean, we, we they're talking about now uh, vaccine-resistant strains of COVID. They found it in uh, California now. And that's not good. Well, they said they weren't sure if it was or not. They said they weren't sure. No, they said the, they're finding new no, strains. They, they, I just read it before we went on the show. Really? Because I, I, yeah. I saw a news report yeah. on it last night saying that this new strain, they just don't know if it would be uh, resistant to it or not. But you're saying you read a thing that said it is resistant yeah. to the – Oh, jeez. Well, they good. don't know. They, they suspect it is. They suspect it is. They've got to still test. Well, But still – We'll have to see. I choose to remain optimistic. Maybe naively so, but I choose to remain optimistic. All right. Uh, let's move on here. That was Shang. Thanks again for sending that in, Shang. I appreciate that, man. Uh, Mama Mia Burnett Campion writes, uh, Hi, my, my boys. I raised y'all to be honest, so to be very clear with the nice audience, WandaVision is a huge risk and definitely not clear that this new tone is the right choice. Be real with us. If DC was making such a move, you would be overly critical. We will see. Oh, that's fucking bullshit. Like, get the yeah. fuck out of here with that. That's fucking bullshit. I am, like, I wow. am constantly... Sorry, that, that just pushes a button. This bullshit is like, <laughs> if this was DC, I fucking hate that. All right. I am the world's biggest defender of Batman versus Superman. I am always telling about how much I, I, I not the world's biggest defender of Batman versus Superman. I'm the world's biggest defender of, of Man, Man of Steel. Steel. I, you and me. The only DCU film, granted, uh, I mean, the only DCU film that I have not liked was uh, Harley Quinn and the, Fab the the Birds of Prey. And then, uh, and well, and granted, Wonder Woman 84. I, I was not a big fan of Wonder Woman 84. I like all the other ones. I give everything I watch a totally fair shot with me. And no, if this was a DC thing, and I'm so tired of these corporate zombie slaves who are, who are just so obedient to whatever corporate billion dollar corporate label they want to bow down and worship. And that anything else is the enemy of that. Shut the fuck up. All right. It's no <laughs> people like WandaVision because they find it likable and they find it entertaining. And there are those who don't like it. And guess what? The people who don't like WandaVision don't dislike it because it's Marvel. Oh, they'd love it if it was DC. No, they just don't like it because it's not for them and it doesn't work for them. And it makes no difference if it's under the billion-dollar corporate Marvel label or the billion-dollar corporate DC label. Grow the fuck up and stop worshiping billion-dollar corporations and being their obedient, sniveling little servant. It, it like if something's great, say it's great. If something sucks, say it sucks. You know, it, it is what it is. But no, if if WandaVision was the exact same show, but kind of juxtaposed with uh, other characters that happen to be in the DC realm, then I would still like it because I think it's pretty charming. It's not my favorite thing, but I think it's pretty charming and definitely super, super different from anything else they've done. So no, no. I, I reject wholeheartedly this bullshit analysis that, oh, if it was the exact same and it was under the DC label, the people would say it was bad. No, it wouldn't. Shut the fuck up. That's the stupidest thing ever. Uh, so get out of here with that. Anyway, uh, let's move on, shall we? Okay, next up. Wakandan Forever writes, 
Mortal Kombat, Sub-Zero, Scorpion, Liu Kang, Sonya Blade, Kano, Johnny Cage, Shang, uh, uh, Shang Tsung, Go Goro, Flawless Victory, Fatality, Finishing, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat. Hey, I'm looking forward. Like, first of all, you know, the, the one thing that I'm very curious about Mortal Kombat, Rob, and I'm still waiting. I, I, I honestly thought we would have gotten a trailer by today because they dropped a bunch of images in Entertainment Weekly. So I still say we're going to get a trailer this week, but we're Tuesday now and we still don't have it. I would have thought we would have it by now. But the thing I'm very, very curious of is can they get um, can they get anywhere close to the soundtrack of the original Mortal Kombat? Because the original Mortal Kombat soundtrack is one of my all-time favorite soundtracks. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing that first. I can listen to the whole the whole CD, the whole thing. It's amazing. But I don't know. I'm still a little dubious about it because, again, first-time director and a first-time writer on the same film. Pictures looked fine, but it's hard to tell. Where are your expectations levels right now for uh, Mortal Kombat? Uh, not very high, John. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but you know what? I I want to see dudes just and and chicks just beating the heck out of each other. I want to see fatalities. I want to see I want to see blood on the screen. I want to see graphic violence, and I want hardcore rock and techno. Yes, bring it on. <laughs> I'll watch that. Are you kidding? I mean, who, you know what? You go into a Mortal Kombat. I want to see a great kick ass. If I'm going to sit down and watch a Mortal Kombat movie, I want it to deliver the goods. And, you know, I, I think it can. I think it's these first timers, right? These, these guys that hadn't made a film before or, or the director hadn't. I think they've got something to prove. And I think that in itself means that we might get something kick ass. I hope so. I, I'm going to go in with the, because, you know, if they can just even just deliver the stupid fun of the first movie because the first yeah. movie, the first Mortal Kombat's a bad film, but oh my God, I love it. <laughs> like even though it's bad, if you can even just give me that, I will be perfectly happy. All right. Uh, Death itself writes one of two in recent companion video. You were asked by someone, not me, what music album you would like. Oh yeah. I remember this. What music albums you would like to see turned into a movie. You likened it unto turning a pizza into a movie. On the surface, it doesn't really make sense. There are, however, some albums which a, an overall narrative story is being told. Christopher Lee's metal concept albums immediately jumped to my mind. Or some of uh, Glory Hammer's production, I can see those transformed into appealing on-screen adaptations. Yeah, and you're right about that. Like, So what happened was, somebody the other day asked me, John, if you could pick any album to be turned into a movie, what would it be? And I said, well, I, I said, to me, that's kind of like saying, John, what? what's your favorite pizza that you would like to see turned into a movie? And the pizza I would like to see turned into a movie is Pizza Hut's Meat Lover's Pizza. Now, it's probably one of my favorite pizzas of all time. That being said, I like that. But you are right. And I thought about this afterwards. There are some albums that have been made that are kind of like a narrative story that you could do that with. The reality is I don't follow them so much that I would even be able to venture a guess onto one. But you are right about that, Death. You, you absolutely are. But it's not really something I consider or follow and all that kind of stuff. But it's good that you pointed it out. Well done. All right, next up. Uh, Rogue One Squadron writes, Here's a good candidate to direct a Star Wars movie slash episode. Joe Johnston. Uh, he used to be an effects artist on the original trilogy and is now a filmmaker with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji, Rocketeer, and Captain America. They should hire him. He's perfect. Mm, 
I, I, I don't know that I agree. I, you're right. He's made some good films. He's a talented director. If they were suddenly to announce tomorrow, Rob, that he was going to direct one, I'd go, oh, cool. But I, I don't think there's anything in his filmography that makes me go, oh, he's a perfect guy to direct a Star Wars movie. I, I was like, if they announced him, I'd be cool. I'd be, I'd be okay yeah. with it. But I don't know he's the first name I'm running out to hire for us. I don't know that he's a perfect fit for a Star Wars film. But, you know, I wouldn't be against it at the same time. What do you think, Rob? I, I Absolutely. I mean, I like Captain America, the first Avenger quite well, I a bit. I love it. Yeah, I, I, love, I love I think it's I really love underrated. I love The Rocketeer, you know, and he directed, what, Jurassic Park 3? Um, I, I, he's a great director. Yeah. I mean, maybe not great, but a really good director. Yeah, that's, and that's why, I hey, listen, if they said he was going to do one, I'd be down for it. Certainly wouldn't be against it, but I don't think he's the guy I would think of as being the perfect guy to do a Star Wars movie. I'm not sure about that, but that, that's just me. Good, op, good recommendation, though. Russell Amador writes, hey, John. I know it was recent in the news that the news broke of Chris Evans returning to the MCU, so that would kind of rule him out of Doctor Strange, right? Uh, since the script is done and they currently shooting, but what are the chances uh, the news just broke late and he is in it? Oh, listen, we've talked before on this show about a lot of t a lot of times that we hear about a casting or a director hire. The reality is, a lot of times. That had been, that happened months before we ever heard about it, right? Like when B the news of Ben Affleck's casting of Batman came out, he had actually agreed, they had already agreed for him to play Batman. What was it? Four months earlier, four or five months earlier, something like that. Um, so yes, there is absolutely uh, a possibility here that Chris Evans has had already signed the deal and all this kind of stuff, even though, you know, Deadline is just finding out about it now through whatever their sources are, that that could have been, it could have been in the works for months, probably has been in the works for months. So it is a possibility. I don't see Doctor Strange being the one that he's in. It's totally possible though. Um, but yeah, I would say the possibility that he'd already actually signed a long time ago is a totally valid possibility, Russell. That's a good observation. All right, next up. Rogue Squadron 1. I forgot to mention that Joe Johnston is the father of Boba Fett. He designed him. He could direct the book of Boba Fett and come full circle. He wanted to make the movie before Disney bought Star Wars. What do you think? I think probably whatever he would have had in mind for Boba Fett would be different from what um, John Favreau has in mind for Boba Fett. This It's in new hands now. It's a different story now. Again, I'll reiterate, if they announce tomorrow that he was hired to do it, I would have no objection. None at all. But I, I don't see any need that it's got to be him or somehow he's perfect for it. And again, this is a different Boba Fett now than the one we had before in many ways. John Favreau's kind of put his fingerprint on it. And so I think you're going to see Robert Rodriguez really direct a lot of Boba Fett. But I don't know, Rob, what are your thoughts on that? I completely agree. Uh, I, you know, I really think that uh, <laughs> if we get like an El Mariachi style <laughs> Boba Fett, I'm in, dude. I can't wait. Uh, I'm very excited about all this. I, I, I think all these Star Wars shows are going to be neat. I can't wait. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Miguel Zayn writes, uh, just saw One Night in Miami the other day. I still have to, I queued it up to watch it the other day and something came up and I couldn't watch it. I know. Uh, I got to watch it too. I, I got to watch this thing soon. I'm dying to see it. 
I just saw One Night in Miami the other day, and I got to say, for a directorial debut for Regina King, who I love Regina King, um, it's impressive. I feel like she capitalized on what she knows about film acting, obviously, by blocking and bringing out actors' best. Thoughts on it if you've seen it? I have not seen it. I've heard nothing but good things about it, Rob. And from the moment I heard about the concept, about One Night where these four iconic people get together, and because I've been a fan of Regina King for so long, I'm totally intrigued by seeing her directorial debut. But I just haven't... I mean, first of all, it came out, and then I found out like two days after it came out that it was actually out now. I'm like, oh, really? Like when stuff comes out on TV, it's hard to keep track of when it actually gets released, unlike when it's in theaters. Yeah. Um, and then I just haven't had the chance to sit down and watch it yet, but I very much want to. Rob, if you, I mean, you haven't had a chance to see it yourself. Are you hearing anything about it? Have you talked to people who have seen it? Uh, I've just read how good it is, but I haven't talked to somebody. I haven't talked to anybody who's actually watched it. Right. I've talked to a couple uh, people who've watched it. They liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've only read good things about it. And like you said, Regina King, man, I've loved her for so long, all the way back to like Jerry Maguire and even before that. And she was great. She was great in the Watchmen TV series. She was nominated for an Emmy for that, wasn't she? Yeah, I think she was. And and the fact that she's directing now, I mean, in my mind, she can do no wrong. So I can't wait. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Chris Douglas who writes, been a huge Smallville fan as I was giddy every second watching Tom and Erica reprise the roles during CW's Crisis on Infinite Earths. I admit most of the cameos were purely fan service, and the crossover was a bit disappointing. But selfishly, I loved this piece of fan service. I totally get it. Now, one of the things that really frustrated me about the Christ, because I have enjoyed, I looked forward every year to the Arrowverse crossover event. Every year, I would look forward to it. Uh, The Crisis on Earth X, I think, was my favorite one. But Yeah, me too. Uh, It was great. And so I was really looking forward to Crisis on Infinite Earths because I loved all the previous ones. But yeah, it it felt so sloppy. And they they just, like almost everything they would do in all the other crossovers was always for a reason. They always had a reason to do it, right? Narratively, they had a reason. And I felt like a lot of the stuff they did in Crisis on Infinite Earths was just like, look, guys, remember this guy? And then gone. And then it, it like... But I totally know what you're talking about, Chris, because I feel the same way about the Lucifer cameo. Like the Lucifer cameo at the end of the day was utterly pointless. It didn't need to be there. But John, they found out from Lucifer that, uh, yeah, but they could have found that out any way they wanted to. They could have written anything for him to find that out. Really, Lucifer didn't need to be there. It was just, look, everybody, it's Tom Tom Ellis as uh, Lucifer. Remember him? And I... But I loved it, even though it was pointless. I loved seeing Lucifer for just a moment, interacting with some characters in the CW thing. So that was fun. So I totally get, I totally get your love of that moment for sure. Especially if you like loved Smallville like that so much. Uh, by the way, speaking of Lucifer, Tom Welling was the main was like an entire season's main uh, antagonist uh, as Kane. Uh, he played Kane, and he was great in Lucifer playing Kane. I love that season. And Rob, do you, I, I think you were a little bit disappointed with it too. And by the way, Iconic Reactions sent in a super chat badge in the live chat stream there. Thank you for that, Iconic Reactions. Appreciate that, man. Um, did you have a, like a, a really standout positive moment that you really liked about the the recent Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover? I like I like seeing Brandon Ralph. Oh yeah, know, that was Superman. good in the. 
I, I love that. I thought it was great in the Kingdom Come suit. I, I it was and it was great. I, I had so much fun with that. And just and seeing him in the Kingdom Come kind of Yeah, uh, no, I love that's what I loved it. Loved yeah, it. That, that was you pretty know, cool. Great. All right, got time for one more with Rob still here. Uh, Joe P writes, hey, John, the first two episodes of WandaVision, I was getting Truman Show vibes. That, that was brought up in the in the uh, spoiler chat we did, too. Did you holding out hope for a Highlander reference when we reach the 80s? Stay filthy. I doubt we will get a Highlander reference. I mean, there's nothing sitcomish about uh, about the Highlander, but. So I'm not seeing that, but yeah, Truman show was definitely a part. Somebody, some other people brought up other things. I mean, obviously references that the Dick Van Dyke show bewitched, um, all these types of shows was really, but yeah, there was definitely a Truman show kind of vibe, uh, to it as well. Now, Rob, I know you haven't seen the third episode yet. Um, no, but like, what were, did you pick up on like Truman show vibes or any other types of uh, oh, influences? Yeah. I mean, all kinds of stuff that uh, everything from the prisoner to the Truman show, any alternate reality you're trapped in. I mean, let me ask you this, because you've seen all three. You've seen the first three episodes, right? Yes. Do without spoiling anything. Is there a little bit more revealed in the third episode as to what direction it's heading in? I will say what I said a little bit earlier. We get a little bit more around the corner in 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 the third episode. Okay. There's okay. I it's I really like the third episode was my favorite episode uh so okay. far. And and I like the first two. I like the first two episodes, but the third episode and it's, now we're in we're in color land, you know, at the end of the second episode, it's we're, we're in it's in color now. So we've moved into color TV, right? Is it the end of the second episode that they move into color? Okay, good. Because yeah. I, I was afraid I'd be getting to say, yes, yes, we are now in color. Uh, we yeah, are yeah. now in color, but it does start to turn that, that uh, turn the corner a little bit more. And uh, I'm just excited for people to see it. And let, you know, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. It looks, I mean, the trailers for the whole series looks like it gets pretty epic. Like, I don't know yeah. what kind of shenanigans are going on, but, but, I have a feeling I just, do you think, I think it's going to get big, like the scale of it's going to get somehow quite large. I don't know if it's going to be other heroes are involved. I mean, someone said Dr. Strange shows up, you know, whatever, but I think it's going to be, whatever it is, it's going to be epic. Do you think it's going to be epic? It's okay. So it's impossible to tell right now, but I do think so. Like I think, and this is just us speculating as fans. I think they are doing this really different, totally out in left field thing right at the beginning. But I think at some point the MCU DNA is going to kick in. And I think once they like really break through, whether that comes in episode six or seven or whatever, then I think we're going to get into some more fundamental traditional MCUisms. And yeah, yeah, I think by the time you get to the end of this thing, it will be, as you say, big. I think it's going to be quite big by yeah. the time we get there. Right. But again, I don't know that. I'm not saying that from any insider information. It's just kind of my take on it, just kind of what I think. All right, Rob, thank you so much for being here, dude, and especially with us starting at a special time uh, now and all that kind of stuff. In the meantime, first of all, you had a world premiere, You and you're, you have a film that just won an award as well. Just tell yes. people a little bit about that. Uh, well, as you know, uh, for the last couple of years, I've been working on a, a low-budget indie dance comedy. I call it a, a Jewish spiritual quest family dance comedy fable. 
because the world <laughs> needs more of those, called Tango Shalom. And it had its world premiere in Jaipur, India yesterday. And it won the Critics Award. I don't quite know what that means because you know I don't know much about the Jaipur uh, uh, film scene, but it won it won the Critics Award. And I, I mean, I've worked on this movie on and off for four years, and so it's a real labor of love. You know, we had to raise money to get finished post production and all that, and I've been with it every step of the way. I produced it, I edited the film, I was the VFX supervisor, and I was the post production supervisor. And it's a real labor of love for everybody involved. And to have it go to India and win an award was uh, unbelievable to me. I'm, I'm blown away. But it's going to start playing in festivals. It plays first uh, next month at the San Diego Jewish Film Festival. And then it's going to be playing a lot of, I will say this, it's playing at a Canadian festival, John. There you go. Uh, but I can't say which one. So it's been great. I mean, it's it's really gratifying to see this little tiny movie uh delight people and it's going to be playing everywhere so look for it tango shalom okay. i don't know if this is the right audience for it but you know i think the trailer looked amazing but what as you stand back now what is the greater accomplishment tango shalom or building your shed which one which one gives you the, the bigger sense of pride well i gotta tell you you know when you make a movie it's not tangible really <laughs> you know I, I mean it just exists as data and and uh, and when you have a shed, man, I can go out and open and close the doors of that shed. You can put crap I can, in I it. Can watch, yeah, I can watch Mr. Mr. Squirrel, you know, scamper across the top of it in the morning as I drink my coffee. So I, I it's, a, it's a toss-up, John. It's a toss-up. Well, listen, congrats <laughs> on that, dude, like so much. And, of course, you you hit uh, Rob Observations. Your show hit 600 episodes. Congrats on that as well. And thanks Crazy. for being here, Rob. And uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow, my friend. Have a good one, man. Yes, sir. I will see you then. All right, guys, that's the one, the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett and bringing his glory and goodness to the show. We still got about 25 minutes or so to keep going through your questions. So let's keep on rolling, shall we? Uh, next one up comes us from Joe. Oh, that was Joe P. Um Next up is Mischievous Gremlin. And Mischievous Gremlin writes, Hey, John, hope your weekend went well. It did go well. Thank you so much. I was looking at the set photos for Spider-Man 3. Uh, do you think, what do you think is up with all the missing kid posters on the poster board? Do you think uh, that's snap related or do you think it ties into something more? Okay, so what he's referencing, and we talked about this on the show a little bit yesterday. So there were a bunch of images for uh, Spider-Man 3 that got released. And one of the images shows something like really interesting, okay? It shows a billboard. And as we got a couple of these, everybody's eyes immediately go to the Mysterio image, right? Like, I believe, like, so the... But down in the bottom, right about... Where am I? Which way do I got a point? Right about down there... You see the red one says citizens defending Spider-Man. So you see things on both sides of it. So that's where a lot of the eyeballs go. But when you really start to look at it, there are like 10 or 11 missing children posters on this thing, right? Missing children posters all over the place. Now, some people immediately jumped and said, well, that's because of the snap, right? That's from the snap. Like there's still, remember, there's a lot of missing posters for people after the snap. But remember, this is now years later. It's been at least a full year, if not a couple of years now. By the time we get into Spider-Man 3, it's been a while 
since everybody came back from the snap. And these billboard things that people put posters up on, they get covered over and replaced like on a weekly basis. They're like just get overstuffed and everything. So I, I agree. My first thought when I'm looking at that is, does this give us a little bit of a hint into what is going to be one of the main narrative points of the movie that some somehow, some way in Spider-Man's neighborhood, children are going missing and being kidnapped and all that kind of stuff. And I think while everybody's, like I said, while all of our attention immediately goes to, ooh, look, the Mysterio thing, and ooh, look, a Spider-Man reference, we're overlooking the missing children part. And I think you're right, Mischievous. I think that very well could be a tip uh, something that's tipping us off to that that could be one of the main things going on in the movie. We will have to wait and see. Good observation, man. Next up, Scott K writes, Watch Tenet yesterday. Thought it was just okay and the most confusing of the Nolan movies. I, I agree, it is the most confusing of the Nolan movies. Uh, though we can consider this a secret, although, can we consider this a secret Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit sequel since the great Kenneth Branagh essentially played the same character? Uh, you know, it's funny because the same thought kind of went through my mind the first time watching it. Look, again, I still haven't watched Tenet for a second time yet. I need to watch it at home with subtitles on because I liked Tenet. I enjoyed watching it, but it was very frustrating having so many scenes where I didn't understand a single thing that was being said. And again, I know that there are a couple of scenes in the movie where we aren't supposed to be able to understand what's being said. I understand that. But there were a number of scenes in the movie where we were supposed to understand what was being said. And I just, I, it was all just a, I couldn't understand what the F they were talking about. And I think I'm going to enjoy the movie even more once I can watch it with the damn subtitles on. But until I do, I'll never really know for sure. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Scott. Next up, uh, Kung Fu Hot Dog writes. Hey, John and Rob, just missed, just missed Rob. Uh, I liked but didn't love the first two episodes of WandaVision. Paul Bettany was definitely the MVP and did get Truman Show vibes from it. Personally, I can't wait for Falcon slash Winter Soldier. That looks badass. Love your show, man. Thank you so much. And yes, listen, I said this before WandaVision ever came out. I still hold to it. There's a lot of great looking things coming for the MCU on Disney+. Plus, But easily the one I am most excited about is Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yes, I'm looking forward to Loki. Yes, I'm looking forward to Miss Marvel. Yes, I'm looking forward to uh, Moon Knight. Yes, I'm looking forward to She-Hulk. Yes, I'm looking forward to all this stuff. But Captain uh, or Captain uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, for whatever reason, that's the one that's totally got my most attention that I'm very, very excited about. And I quite enjoyed the first couple of episodes of WandaVision. I didn't, I'm not tremendously in love with them. But I really admired them doing something so different and weird, and it was very charming. And I think it's now my wife's all-time favorite show. But uh, again, I, I'm just I'm very looking forward to talking to you guys about episode three. I'm just, I'm very excited to talk to you guys about episode three. Make sure you come and join me and Ann for our open spoiler discussion on episode three on Friday. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, Kung Fu. Next up, Jake H writes, "Hey, John and Rob." I think that these Spider-Man set photos look good. Nothing special, just normal set photos. But as a big Spidey fan, anything excites me. One question, though. How is Peter in public going to coffee shops after the end of Far From Home? So for those of you guys who might have missed yesterday's show, there was also a bunch of set photos besides that one with the uh, billboards on it. There was a bunch of set photos of 
it was Christmas time. He's walking around the streets. He's going in to visit MJ, working at some donut shop and blah, 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 right? This, to me, kind of hints that what I suspect may actually happen. As soon as I saw Spider-Man Far From Home, I said on one of my videos that I wonder if when we get to the next Spider-Man film, this whole problem of Mysterio outing Peter Parker, I wouldn't be surprised if that all gets resolved off camera. Much like when we get to the end of Iron Man 3, Tony's like, I'm not Iron Man. And they're taking out the, the, the reactor and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, the next time we see him, it's Avengers Age of Ultron. And look, he's back as Iron Man. He's got the reactor back in. It's like, wait a minute. What happened between the end of Iron Man 3 and Ultron that this happens? Eh, they just resolved. They just said, I decided the world needed me. Okay. All they have to do, all they have to do is have somewhere in the background a TV news report saying government agent Nick Fury uh, confirmed the debunked Mysterio uh, video and then just have like one of the scrolls flying around, walking around as Peter Parker while Spider-Man's swinging around. I mean, it's actually a very, very easy fix. It's actually a very easy fix. And seeing these set foes where Peter Parker's just walking around the street at Christmas time, hi everybody, when he should be like this desperately wanted man, Maybe suggest that. I'm not saying that's what they're doing. I have no insider information. I'm just guessing. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that ending of Spider-Man 2 is going to be a, a main thing with Spider-Man 3. I think they just might say it's resolved. Again, I don't know that. Let's get closer to the movie and we'll see. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Jake. All right, next up. Uh, Albert J. Gonzalez Jr. writes, Hello. I can't, uh, hello, can't believe I still watch you daily after all these years. I've changed, uh, I've changed who I watch on YouTube over the years, but you are the one person, uh, I have never, I never get tired of. I think it's because you keep drama out of your channels as much as possible and you stay true to movies and yourself. Thanks for the hours of entertainment, uh, that I listen to while I do woodworking question. Loved your documentary. Uh, why didn't you put yourself in it? Well, first of all, Albert, thank you so much for the kind words, man. That's really nice of you. Thank you, sir. Um, and thank you for watching my documentary. I, I don't know. I, I, I thought about that at first, but I wanted, how do I put this? You know, people who want to see me can see <laughs> some of that went down the wrong pipe. Uh, people who want to see me, <coughs> YouTuber chokes himself to death on sip of soda. News at 11. Uh, if people want to see me, they can watch me every day. Righty, I'm here every day. So <clears throat> I really wanted the, and I thought putting myself in my own documentary was kind of pointless. And so I decided, no, I, I just, it'd just be best to keep myself out of it. You know, let the focus be on the subject matter. I didn't want the focus to be, you know, whenever a director puts themselves in a documentary, sometimes they should because they are the narrative force through the documentary and that there's nothing wrong with that. But <clears throat> I felt for this case, putting myself in it would have just been, I don't know, a vanity project. And I, I, I anyway, again, I just wanted the focus of, the audience to be on the narrative and the subject matter of the documentary 
not on me, if that makes any sense. So that's why I didn't put myself in it. But uh, yeah, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe it's, it was the best move I made in the movie. I, I mean, I don't know, but I, I, I felt very strongly that I shouldn't be in it. I felt very strongly that I shouldn't be in it. So although, although I did sneak in one quick little cameo, if you've seen my documentary and you watch it close, you will notice that I did sneak myself into a quick little cameo in it uh, just for fun. But anyway, there was that. Thanks a lot for that, man. I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> uh, where are we at? Uh, do, 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 do. We are now at my comic planet rights. Part one. Hey, John, I watched your Star Wars movie trivia schmodown at Star Wars Celebration back in 2017. That was a good day. That was a really fun, fun event. Uh, you were on a roll. It was epic. So much fun to watch you and Ken go at it in sudden death. Sam Witwer uh, was great, too. He is. Is he really that good? Sam Witwer is really that good. But here's the thing about trivia. You can have a brain cramp at any time. And it, it happens, right? Anybody, you talk to anybody and, and you can even say, you know, just ask them what they had for breakfast that day. I mean, they could probably recite, you know, every, you know, constitutional amendment, but then ask them, hey, what do you have for breakfast yesterday? And if, obviously they know, but just for whatever reason, they go, oh, crap, what was it I had for breakfast yesterday? And you get stuck, right? Now, imagine this. You're getting asked trivia questions and you're on a stage in front of 600 people and it's being filmed. And the moment you hit, like, see, in these trivia things, the moment you hit a bump, your mind can just lock down, right? It happened to me as well. Like, there was a, there was one of the, the movie trivia things I was doing. I was, there was a, a, a question. I can't remember the question, but the answer was clearly Elizabeth Taylor. And I just, I hit a little hiccup in my head and then it just got jammed. And like, I couldn't come up with Elizabeth Taylor, right? Sam Witwer hit one of those. And I can't remember. It had something to do with, there was an Imperial question that he got asked in that 19, uh, in that uh, 2017 match we had. He hit one of the questions and he just, it happens to all of us. He got jammed on one. And um Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a, but it's still, it was wonderful. It was a great event. We had like, we packed out the auditorium at Star Wars Celebration. There were literally almost a thousand people that lined up to be in that couldn't get in because they had already filled it. It was, the audience was rocking. It was just a great, great time. And uh, it was the second time that I beat Sam Witwer in Star Wars trivia. Just want to throw that out there. Just saying it was the second time that I beat him. But no, seriously, make no mistake. Sam is a beast. Sam Witwer is an absolute Star Wars trivia beast of the highest level. And he's absolutely great. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Next up. Uh, oh, and then number two of Comic Plan. And the energy in the room was crazy. What do you remember from that ep epic battle? Yeah, the energy in the room was great. And, and it's up on YouTube. You can go check it out. But yeah, it was that damn sudden death. Uh, so it came down, there were five competitors. It came down to me and Ken. And I think we went to five. We had to go to five sudden deaths because we just kept getting every question right. Both of us just kept getting every question right. And then we finally got to this one question that I can't remember the exact question, but it was about which voice actor 
did this character in animated form. And I gave an answer that was kind of right. It was an actor who did do a voice of that character, but it was in a different show. And Ken, Ken just got lucky. I mean, Ken's a beast, but I mean, Ken got lucky too because the answer to the question was a guy that Ken had just recently interviewed personally, and he was the answer to the question. So I missed it. Ken got it, deservingly so, and Ken won it. But it was great. It was Sam Whitwer. Uh, it was it was Sam, Jenny, Jeremy, me, Ken. Yeah, just the energy in the room was epic. It was just a fun, fun, fun day. It was a terrifically fun day. Anyway, uh, there's that. Okay, next up, uh, Orange Hand Rights. Uh, a previous tipper once said that they sure as hell wouldn't renounce their wish of a night with ScarJo, but the movie's logic suggests that it would just be ScarJo in someone else's body, right? Why would it be? Gotta include her body in the wish to close the loopholes. Well, since ScarJo was still alive, she wouldn't have to inhabit somebody else's body. Again, I just don't understand what was the purpose why, I, I I mean, someday I've got to ask Patty Jenkins this if I ever get the chance to talk to her again. I've got to ask Patty Jenkins, why did they feel the need that for Steve to come back, he had to inhabit somebody else's body? Nuclear missiles just manifested and came into being. Giant magic walls around countries just magically manifested and came into being. If you could wish for Steve Trevor to come back, why did he have to bump somebody else out of their body in order to, how did that make any narrative sense and what was the purpose to it? It, it? I mean, if it played some kind of important narrative purpose later on, I could maybe get it, but it didn't. It was just one of those strange, strange, strange decisions for that movie. One of the strange decisions for that movie. It, I, you know, I was really disappointed with it, especially considering how good the first one was. Anyway, at any rate, uh, anonymous viewer writes, Greetings, John from Greece. Greetings. My wife actually, uh, every year, um, not this past COVID year, but every year, uh, my big present to my wife is paying for her to go on some trip around the world somewhere with uh, two of her friends. And Greece twice was their destination. They really loved Greece. I've never been, but I'd love to go there sometime. Anyway, love your show. Thank you so much. Uh, let's say that it's all true that Andrew will reprise his role in some way in Spider-Man 3. How big of a chance do you think there is that Andrew will get to continue with The Amazing Spider-Man 3 afterwards if Spider-Man 3 turns out to be a success? Zero. None. Which is which I really regret because I liked Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man very much. The first The Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone I thought was fantastic. I love that movie. The second one... With Jamie Foxx's Electro, hey, it is what it is. It was a major step down. But I still loved Andrew Garfield's Sp Spider-Man, and I was totally on board for seeing The Amazing Spider-Man 3 with Andrew Garfield. Totally on board with it. I think he's a great Spider-Man. I think Tom's a great Spider-Man. I thought Toby was a great Spider-Man, but Andrew's right up there too. I thought he was great. But I, no, they're not going to go backwards that way. Now, Sony, I don't think Sony has any plans to go backwards that way. I mean, look, any, we live in a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro. So honestly, anything is possible. But I would I would highly, highly doubt that uh, we would, we'll ever see The Amazing Spider-Man 3. I highly doubt that'll ever happen. 
But again, nothing is impossible. Nothing's impossible, dude. Anyway, next up. Thanks for that, Anonymous. Uh, Man of Tomorrow writes, after reading some of the WandaVision theories, I was wondering, do you think the MCU has went out of its way to avoid the supernatural? Thor is an alien. Magic is just advanced technology. The soul stone powers are sort of vague. Um, I feel like... I guess that was the end of it. And the soul stone powers are pretty vague. I mean, I did feel for a while like they were trying to keep magic out of the MCU. Like you're right in Thor. There's that great conversation between Thor and Jane about, um, you know, you call it, uh, magic. You call it science where I'm from. It's one and the same. Like, so they even try to even that out. But once you get to Dr. Strange, once you get to Dr. Strange, that all kind of goes out the window. They totally did embrace the mystical at that point. So I, I, I think they they try not to go too bonkers into the mystical, but they clearly have brought the mystical in and um, and are embracing the mystical to a degree. But we'll see how much they do that once we get further into WandaVision. Thanks for that, Man of Tomorrow. Jackson Perez writes, I finally watched Sindler's List, one of the great movies, seriously. I can never watch it again, but it's amazing. I finally watched Sindler's List, and uh, my God, Liam Neeson was stupid good. Oh, absolutely. Um, the movie was incredibly difficult to watch, yep, and was the only time I've ever cried watching people I don't know die. Just wow, you're 100% right, Spielberg is the goat. It's one of these movies, one of the great, one of the great Seinfeld uh, gags of all time. Um, is the gag where Newman is in the movie theater watching Schindler's List and he looks down and sees that Jerry is also, do you guys remember this episode of Seinfeld? Jerry is also there watching Schindler's List with a date and Jerry and his date are making out during Schindler's List. And that was very offensive to Newman very offensive. You could see Newman's face all angry watching Jerry and his girlfriend making out while Schindler's List was on. But yeah, um, it is, it's a remarkable film. Yet another one of the dozens of reasons Spielberg is the goat. Spielberg can make any movie and make it one of the all-time greats. He can do epic period piece. He can do sci-fi adventure. He can do action film. He can do heavy drama. He, You name it, he can do it. He can make any kind of movie and he can make any one of those kinds of movies one of the top 50 greatest movies of all time in any genre. Comedy, he can do comedy. Action, he can do action. Drama, he can do drama. Thriller, he can do thriller. You know, and it's just crazy what he is able to do and, and that's why he is just, uh, and as Kingston is pointing out, Kingston in the live chat is pointing out uh, terminal is poop though. That to me is Steven Spielberg's one bag. I always say every director has a bad day at the office. Every director does. And to me, terminal is Steven Spielberg's one bad day at the office. That's, that's my take on it at any rate. All right. Next up. Um, Arjun Kang writes one of two. 
Hi, John. Hope you're good. I am good. Thank you so much for asking. Have you seen the cast to the new David O. Russell movie? It's stacked with talent. Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Rami Malek, Zoe Saldana, plus the new edition of Robert De Niro, Mike Myers, Cobb Vanth. Uh, Cobb Vanth, of, of course, is the character from Mandalorian. Um... Is this carrying? Yes, two, two. Michael Shannon, Chris Rock, uh, Anya Taylor Joy, Andrea Risenbrow, Matthias uh, Schoenartz, and Al- Al- Alessandro Nivola. I'm not quite sure who that is, to be honest with you. Has this become uh, one of your most anticipated movies over the next few years? All the best. No. No, it is not. Uh, because I don't know anything about it. Great cast. No doubt. Great, great cast. However, great cast is not enough to make it one of my most anticipated movies because none of those actors are writing the script. None of those actors are making up the story. They're going, they're going to be given characters and then they're going to portray those characters and they'll do a great job because it is a great cast, but I need to know more. And, and the fact that David O. Russell is making it, that's good enough reason to put it on your radar. I mean, Christian Bale and David O. Russell have some success before, if you know what I mean. But, I need to know more than that to get like really excited about it. It's definitely got my attention, but I need to know more. Now you take another movie that's coming up um, called Don't Look Up. Now this, I know what the movie's about and I know the cast. Look at this cast. Academy Award winner Leonardo DiCaprio. Academy Award winner Jennifer Lawrence. Academy Award winner Kate Blanchett. Academy Award winner Meryl Streep. Academy Award nominee Timothy Chalamet. Academy Award nominee Jonah Hill. Uh, Ron Perlman. I mean, that that's a killer cast. And it's being directed by Adam McKay. But we also, this, we know what the movie's about and actually sounds really good to me. The story of two low-level astronomers who must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. I mean, okay, done, sold. So now I know what the movie is. I know what the premise is. I know who the director is. I know who the actor is going to be bringing this to life. That gets me really excited. So yes, this David O. Russell one is definitely one they're going to keep my eyes on but I can't say it's like one of my most anticipated just based on the actors involved. I, I need to know more. And once we know more, then we'll revisit that question. But it is a tremendous cast. What a cast David O. Russell has assembled for that movie. All right. I uh, just got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Laura Howard writes, have you heard about Jessica Jones, Kristen Ritter joining She-Hulk? I heard something about it. Uh, can't find proof in the trades, but I think it would be awesome. Your thoughts. P.S. My name is pronounced uh, Lori. Oh, that's interesting. But I can't use the accent sign on here. Yeah, I I heard some people talking about that, and I too went and did a quick look, and I could find nothing that actually confirmed that. As a matter of fact, let's let's do that right now, shall we? Uh, uh, Kristen Ritter. Uh, she Hulk. I'll just, let me just take a quick peek here. Uh, and I spelled Kristen wrong. There you go. Yeah. I'm not seeing any of the actual trades verifying this. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, it, the people that are running with it are just saying, we've heard a rumor. We've heard, we've heard, but no, nobody's doing anything. Uh, nor has it been put into a trade. So you you guys know what my kind of feeling on this is. I pretty much ignore the rumors. If 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 in the rare case that the rumors turn out to be true, are true, then one of the trades will run with it soon soon enough. 
Once one of the major trades run with it, then I'll go, okay. Because the major trades are the one who have the real contacts and the real sources, and they have like standards that they'll verify it with multiple sources. They'll double verify the information and then they'll report it. So if it's true, then one of the major trades will run with it at some point. And if they don't, then we'll know it wasn't true. So I, 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 I'm dubious about the legitimacy of that, but I heard about it too. And hey, listen, let's not outright say it's completely not true. I'll put it up on a shelf and say, we'll keep our eyes on that. And if it's real, then more evidence will come out and then we'll know about it then. Uh, let's see. Next up, and we'll make this the last one of the day. Thanks for that, Lori. And thanks for the little pronunciation lesson there on your name as well. All right, Tanny writes, Hey, John, just curious to know if you saw the uh, Daily Wire movie Run, Run, Hide, Fight, and what you think of the wild idea of a news opinion outlet getting into the entertainment business. I have not seen it. I've heard it wasn't that good, but I can't say that myself because I haven't seen it. I don't think it's a good idea for news outlets to get into the movie making business. I think that's a a radical conflict of interest. Uh, But... I mean, who knows? Uh, maybe it's something that could work out. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, I, it's hard. I can't really say much because I haven't watched the movie myself. I've only heard it wasn't all that good, but uh, maybe it's great if I uh, talk to some people, other people saw it. But again, I think the idea of news agencies, particularly ones that have a very clear slant to, to their news, making things. I mean, that's kind of the ultimate propaganda, isn't it? It isn't almost by definition, a news agency making movies. Isn't that basically propaganda? But again, I don't know enough about the situation. I don't really know enough about daily wire. I know almost nothing about what daily wire is. Uh, and I don't know enough about this movie other than the cast and kind of the basic premise of it but I haven't seen it myself. So I can't give an informed opinion on it. I haven't seen it. I can't give an informed opinion on that. So there's that. All right, guys, listen, there are still more questions to come from uh, Jaron Morris, uh, Benjamin, Drew, and onward. Don't worry, guys. We will start off tomorrow's live questions part of the show by getting to your questions first. As a matter of fact, you know what? I might not even make you make you wait that long. I think I'll put together another companion video today. Yes. Later today, I will put together another companion video. So those of you who have already sent in questions, you don't have to wait till tomorrow to hear them answered. I'll get around to answering them a little bit later today. I will make that then. Anyway, guys, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of this show, guys. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in all the questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, because you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here involved at the John Campus Show, thank you very, very much for that. All right, guys, don't forget, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for today, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.